So 2020 is a presidential election year in America. I probably didn't need to tell you that. But what that means is, uh, Lord willing, on November 3rd, there will be an election. And what that election means is there will be uh, candidates who have indicated their willingness to be president of the United States, and voters will go uh, to the ballots and choose a person to be the president. That's an election. When the election is done, one of the candidates, he or she, will then be in a unique position and relationship to the rest of us. He or she will be our president. And they will have been chosen for that position so that they might serve God, whether they know it or not, us and others. This is what election is about. Now I have to say up front, there are so many things about American presidential elections that have nothing to do with the Bible, but the concept of election is a very important biblical concept and that God has left us examples of election in our world today to help us to understand what it is that he teaches us about election in the kingdom of God. And that's our topic for today, election. Not the presidential elections, but election in the kingdom of God. We're in the book of Titus and we're going through a topical series and Titus is choosing the topics for us. And in Titus chapter two it says, make sure you teach sound doctrine. And so we are in a nine week mini series in which we are going through from a salvation historical point of view, important teachings from God's word. We began last week with the doctrine of creation. And this week we talk about what's known as the doctrine of election. Now, why election is such an important doctrine, even if you may not be familiar with that word, from the Bible. It's an important doctrine because it answers questions like, how did Israel become the people of God in the Old Testament? How did people, how did a person like Esther, for example, become the queen of Persia? It answers the question, how does someone today become a Christian? Or how did you or I end up with the spiritual gifts that we have or the experiences that we're going through? The doctrine of election is related to all of those questions. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. In just a minute, we're gonna turn to a passage of scripture, but before we do, let me say just a couple of things to kind of help frame the discussion when we say we're talking about election. The word, the English word election, comes from Latin, and it comes from two Latin words, e, which is a word, and lectus, which means to select, and e means from. So election is to select from. So it's to take a group and to choose one. So a presidential election, you have multiple candidates, and you elect a person. But election doesn't always, it often doesn't have anything to do with voting. Voting is one way that something can be selected, but other examples is you elected to be here this morning, meaning you had two choices. You could have not been here or you could be here. 
and you probably didn't put it up for a vote, maybe you did, uh, but you chose of those two choices to be here. We use the word election sometimes when you talk about like uh, options for investments in a 401k or a 403b. You elect to invest your money in your company stock or in some mutual fund. You're making a selection, a choice. If you're a student here and you're taking Spanish and you had a choice about it, you may have elected to take Spanish as opposed to French or Latin or some other language or some other class. You selected or made a choice. So when we talk about the doctrine of election, we're not talking about voting. We're talking about choices, how things are selected in the kingdom of God, certain kinds of choices. And that's the second thing I want to say is that while the English word elect or election can be used for lots of things, biblically we make a distinction between that which is decreed and that which is elected. These are two different things. And although in English it is grammatically or lexically, I guess you would say, possible to say that God elected to create the world, theologically we wouldn't say that. We would say God decreed the creation of the world. He made a decision, nobody else was involved, he just simply said, we're gonna have a creation, and he did it. Likewise, from an English point of view, you could say that God elected that sexual immorality would be wrong, but theologically we wouldn't say that. We would say he decreed it, meaning the decrees of God, the moral decisions God has made is not something that would fall under the doctrine of election. What election is used for in the Bible is when God makes choices that involve people. We use the word elect or election to talk about the selection or choices when a person is involved. So to select something for somebody, to select somebody for something, that's the realm in which the word election functions. Make sense? So now, if you will, please take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible, and so we're on page nine. Genesis chapter 12, page nine. And we're going to look at an election story. We're going to look at how somebody got selected for a particular position, and that's going to allow us to talk about how election works today in God's kingdom. Genesis chapter 12, it's entitled The Call of Abram. You're gonna know him by his longer name or more familiar name, Abraham. Let's read the story and then we'll talk through it. Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram or to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, 
and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. Now Abraham occupies an important position in the history of the world. You may know this because sometimes we sing this song, little children sing it, Father Abraham. And this is a recognition that Abraham is father of the Jewish people and that he is the father of all those who have faith in God. And the question is, How did Abraham end up in this position? He holds an important position as the father of the Jewish people and the father of all who have faith. And the question is, how did he get there? And the answer is pretty simple. God called and he responded. Verse one is the call of God. Verses two and three expand that call. And verse four is Abraham's response. God called and Abraham responded. Now, one of the things I think is fascinating about this passage is it doesn't answer the question, did God call anybody else? Have you ever asked that question? Abraham is called and says yes, but we have no idea if there were other people that God might have called to do this exact thing. Who said no? In fact, look back just a couple of verses into chapter 11. Genesis 11, verse 31. Here we have a man named Terah. This is Abraham's father. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go where? To Canaan. For some reason, and we're not told why, Abraham's father leaves Ur and is supposed to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. We're not told this, but it's possible that God actually called Terah to go to Canaan and that Terah just simply didn't go. So why is Abraham in the position he's in? Because God called and he responded. And for him to be elected or selected to that position, those two things had to happen, call and response. Perhaps the nearest analogy for us to think of today is the idea of marriage. We prayed and celebrated uh, some of the couples in our church that have just recently been married. And if you think about it, if you're married, two things had to happen. 
somebody had to ask and somebody had to say yes. If there was no asking, no marriage. If there was no saying yes, no marriage. You've got to have an invitation and a response. And what happened when Abraham was selected for this position? God called him, Abraham said yes, and as a result, he ended up in a unique relationship with God, whereby God says, I can now bestow upon you my love. And what happens in a marriage relationship? There is an invitation and a response. And the purpose is to form a unique relationship And if you're married, you have selected your spouse from all the other possible candidates and you have called this person and invited them into a unique relationship with you so that you might show them love, so that you might be a blessing to them. Now, I don't know about you. You may have a story in which you're like, well, I actually invited multiple people before someone said yes. Maybe, maybe God invited multiple people who said no. The reason Abraham is elected, the reason you're married is because somebody said yes. Now, if you're thinking through this analogy of marriage and you're thinking about God selecting people for positions in the kingdom of God, you might say, okay, well, wait a second. In American culture, it's more typical that the guy asks the girl But it often happens where the girl asks the guy. That's even biblical. We have examples where women propose to men in the Bible. And you might be thinking, okay, well, can election happen where it's us that's doing the calling and God's doing the responding? And the answer is yes. It's not as common. But in Isaiah 6, for example, Isaiah says to God, here I am, Send me. He's basically indicating his desire to go and be a prophet to Israel. And God says, I agree. That's how Isaiah gets elected to his position. David volunteers of his own initiative to build God a temple. It's his idea. He calls to God and says, can I do this? And God responds with a yes, but it's going to be Solomon. That's how David gets elected to his position of being the one who makes the preparations for the temple. In Matthew 14, Jesus is out walking on water. And Peter says, excuse me, can I come? He initiates the call. Jesus responds with a yes. And thereby Peter is elected from the 12 who are in the boat He is selected to be the only other human being other than Jesus to ever walk on water. The Philippian jailer, after he hears Paul singing and praising the Lord, he says, how can I be saved? I want to be saved. And he calls on God to be saved. And God says, I accept. And that's how he becomes elect. And so, yes, it is possible that sometimes people end up in the positions they are because they ask and God responds. The more normal case, or the one that happens more often with election, is God calls and we respond. That's what happens with Abraham. God calls Abraham. Abraham responds. 
As a result, there is now a unique relationship between God and Abraham for the purpose of love and for the purpose of serving others. Now, let me take just a little bit of a sidetrack. Some of you may have come in here and heard the word election, and you didn't think presidential election. You thought back to some theological discussions you may have had as a young child or other places you were in which that term election meant certain things. And you may be asking yourself the question, okay, what is what you're saying have to do with what is often called unconditional election and irresistible grace? The unconditional election one's a pretty easy one. Unconditional election simply means, from what I'm telling you here, that when God called Abraham, he didn't do it on the basis of how attractive Abraham was, or his personality, or even his moral character. He simply called him because he called him. It was unconditional. The invitation had no conditions that went with it. Irresistible grace is a little trickier, but it works like this. I've said for election to take place, you have to have a call and a response. More normally, it's God who's doing the calling, and we're doing the responding. Irresistible grace is this idea that there are certain passages in the Bible, which I do believe are true, that talk about the fact that when we're the ones doing the responding, that somehow, in a mystery, God is also present in the response, enabling and empowering and causing the response to happen in such a way that we might say it like this. God calls and we respond, but God can be pretty persuasive, so to speak. How that works itself out, I don't really know. But somehow, God allows us to be the ones who are doing the responding so that we are genuinely exercising free will and we are genuinely responsible for our choices but I want to at least acknowledge there are some passages in the Bible that talk about God doesn't just stay on his side. He empowers and he helps and he guides and he works with us. Beyond that, it's above my pay grade. I can't really explain it anymore. <laughs> but that doesn't change the fact that election still requires a call and a response. And what you want to believe about how much God is involved in the response side, that's a mystery. But election is an invitation and a response. And once both those things happen, you are now selected for a position. Okay, so what? <laughs> that's an interesting theological discussion. It's an interesting historical discussion. What does it have to do with us today? Two very important places where the doctrine of election is absolutely important for us today. They're different, but related. Number one, this has to do with the question, how does someone become a Christian today? So it is the all-important question. If you are here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, this is the answer. How do you become a Christian? Well, Jesus tells this great story in Matthew 22. And the story is about a king 
It's a parable, so it's all metaphorical. It's a story about a king who wants to throw a dinner, uh, a feast for his son. The king represents God the Father and the son represents Jesus. And so the king invites a whole bunch of people to come to the feast. And he sends them all an invitation. And the people read the invitation and they're like, no, no, I'm too busy. And so they all RSVP, no, we're not coming. The king is furious. He wants to throw a grand party for his son. His son is worth a great party. So he says to the servants, go out into the highways and the byways, go everywhere you can and personally invite everyone you meet individually and compel them to come in. Anyone, anyone you come in contact with, invite them to come in. And Jesus closes that parable with this line from Matthew 22, verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And the word for chosen is the Greek word for elected. Many are invited, but in order for election to take place, there must be a response. You got to RSVP that you're coming to the dinner. You see, you might ask, well, it kind of seems maybe slightly unfair that Abraham got this great thing. And you might wonder, well, how come Abraham got all this blessing stuff? What about everybody else? Well, what's going on with the election of Abraham in the Old Testament is a little bit like what we do with drug trials today in the medical world. What happens with a drug trial, like say for a particular kind of cancer or whatever, is that a group is elected or selected out of all the people who have that cancer. And a smaller group of people is chosen, is selected. They have to agree to it, but they are invited and they agree and they are elected out to receive a particular drug. The purpose of doing that is not to play favorites with the group who got to go through the drug trial. The purpose of doing that is to prove that the drug works so that you can then give it to everybody who has that kind of cancer. Abraham and the Jewish people in the Old Testament are the drug trial. God has selected a group, pulled them out, and is demonstrating and proving that his grace and his love and his power, God's love, is sufficient for salvation. And the fact of the matter is, Abraham is in heaven today. He has eternal life. So does Moses. So does David. So does Rahab. So does Ruth. So does Hannah. And the point Jesus is making is, the drug trial is over. This drug works. And the point is now to go out to everybody anywhere who has this disease and simply say to them, here is the cure. And in order for the cure to happen, you have to be called and you have to agree. How does someone become a Christian? God calls and you respond. And Jesus is saying, today, God is calling you. Please, this is not a general call that just like whoever wants to can. That's true. But God actually calls you specifically by name. And if you're here this morning and there's any prompting in your heart, any desire to say, well, I kind of wish I got what Abraham got. I kind of wish that God promised to bless me. I kind of wish that God said he would have a unique relationship with me. I kind of wish that God said that I could be a blessing to other people. I'm here to tell you, God is inviting you to that. And when you say yes, you are selected 
to be a child of God. This is how someone becomes a Christian. But even if you're like, well, I don't know that I got an invitation in the mail from Jesus or anything like that, let me say it to you this way. Just like that Philippian jailer, if you want to be a child of God, you can just simply say to God, I would like that. And his response is, I accept. And once there is an invitation and an acceptance, then there is election. And you have been elected, selected, chosen, whatever word you want to use. And now you have a unique relationship with God. It's an expression of his love. You are his child. And he has selected you to be the recipient of his love, his grace, and his blessing. So that might be a blessing to the whole world. The second reason why election is so important for us today is election is still how God makes choices when we're involved, even after salvation. Meaning, after Genesis 12, God called Abraham to do some other stuff. He called him to obey Sarah, who had some ideas about what to do with Ishmael that Abraham didn't like. He called him to intercede on behalf of his nephew Lot uh, for what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. He called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Each one of those was an election, meaning each one was a call. And when Abraham said yes, he was selected to be the one who got to do those things. So too for you and I today as Christians. God continues to call us to things. You might be called to suffer from cancer. You might be called to a, a life or a period of singleness. You might be called to be an accountant. You might have been called by God to be a junior at the school that you're attending. And the point is God is inviting you into something and you and I have a choice. You can either accept the call or not. And that many of us today are wrestling with God about these ongoing calls in our life. We are saying to God, I don't want to be a widow. I don't want to have the gift of teaching. I don't want to have cancer. I don't want to be an accountant. I don't want to go to the school anymore. And let me say this. If you're wrestling with God about the things he's calling you to, that's perfectly fine. You can argue with God. You can wrestle with God. You can get angry with God. That's part of the process because the things he calls us to are hard. But please, once the wrestling turns into refusal, then we got a problem. And the problem is not that God's gonna be angry with you. The problem is like what Mordecai says to Esther when he says, hey, look, God's calling you to do this. If you don't want to do this, yes, it's not going to go well for you. God's going to raise up somebody else. And you're going to miss the blessing. Because please hear me correctly. Every call from God 
every call. A call to singleness, a call to cancer, a call to suffering, a call to being a junior at the high school that you're at, a call to being a teacher. Every call from God is the promise of a deeper love relationship with God and blessings flowing to people around you. God can't call us to something else. He is love. The only things he can call us to are things that are good for us. We may not see them. They'll be hard and difficult and painful. There might be lots of tears. But God cannot call us to something that is bad. He just can't. And he won't. But the encouragement is, God is selecting you for a life of singleness. God is selecting you to be a teacher. God is selecting you to walk through the death of a loved one. You and I have to say yes. It doesn't mean we have to want to do it. It just means we've got to say yes. And once we say yes, you're like, well, how could you say no to the death of a loved one? You can. You can just keep refusing to acknowledge that it's happened. When we finally say yes, okay, God, then we are elected to have a unique relationship with God in that particular area and to see the blessings of God flow into our lives. I don't know if Terah was called to go to Canaan, but he got to Haran and he stopped. And he said, I'm not going any further. Abraham said, I heard the call, I choose to obey. And that's how he got selected for the position that he's in. So here then is the conclusion of the matter. The reason why the doctrine of election follows the doctrine of creation is because in the doctrine of creation, God creates us, human beings, in his image and likeness, which means he endows us with free will and treats us like human beings. An election is one of the ultimate expressions of God's love. Because instead of simply forcing us, or ordering us, or robotically commanding us, he engages with us. You actually have been given the ability by God to say no to God. Can you believe that? This is the kindness of God that he created us as genuine beings with free will. And while he does engage with us in such a way that he can empower faith, he can gift faith, he can guide faith, we are truly being engaged with as real sentient beings that are able to make decisions. Now with that great blessing comes great responsibility. You have to decide. God has invited you to be his child, but if you ignore it, if you say no, if you think I'll get to it later, if you don't say yes, you won't be a child of God. This is how election works. You've been called. Now you and I have to say yes. Likewise, with the sufferings, with the difficulties, with the assignments, with the spiritual gifts we've been given, with the roads we've been asked to walk. 
God refuses to simply impose upon us as if we're robots. And in creation, he lovingly created us as beings with wills. And he engages with us that way. And if this morning you're still saying no to God about something, my urgent request, say yes. All you're doing is fighting with your creator who loves you and is trying to bless you. The blessings of Abraham, this is the blessings he wants to give you in the singleness, in being a teacher, in losing a loved one. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's goal is to bless and not to harm. And so he loves you and I enough not to force his decisions on us. And so my urgent plea is, say yes. Say yes to whatever it is God's calling you to do. You will not regret it. Let's pray together. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.